This is a Media Lab podcast. Dave, that was a poor choice. Oh, uh, which choice? Which choice are you talking about? You're wearing a red shirt. Wow! Well, you never wear a red shirt. Red's my color. I, I like how tight it is, and how you can. It's uh, very taut. It's very tight. Uh, this 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 means you're going to get killed first. The the machine here is on its you know monthly looking for anything out of order to cut down. So I do not promise that you'll survive to the end of this episode. I make that promise every week. I think I'll charm it by the fact that the spandex really reveals what's happening at the bottom. Wow, you've been working out. Yeah, my penis has gotten larger. I make that promise every week. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle and Dave, Dave versus, versus the machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the machine. My name is Kyle. I'm uh, Dave. And I'm The Machine. A podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. For some reason, this machine really wants us to watch a bunch of movies from 1999. And today, I'm actually very happy because we get to watch the movie Galaxy Quest. Sweet. In the far reaches of the galaxy... A civilization is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up. Never surrender. He will save us. What they got. Never give up. And never surrender. We're struggling TV actors. Do our last hope. Where's my limo? Okie dokie. And they're about to. All right, Dave. I'm really excited to know what you think about. Oh my gosh, Dave. We have a we have a knock on our guest door. Let me just open it up here. Oh, hi, Grant. Hello. What uh, what brings you here to this virtual space? I was just passing by. Oh. Great. No other explanation needed in this in this case. Uh, do you have a do you have a bit of time? Um, I've got exactly thirty two minutes. Great. So that's enough time to watch both the movie Galaxy Quest and talk about it. So you've, mm-hmm. you we've nailed this, Grant. I w- first off, I think you should maybe start off by maybe who you are and how people can find you on the internet. Uh, well, my name is Grant Tingley. I've friends with Kyle for a decade now, yeah. apparently. And uh, you can find me on the Twitter and the Instagrams and TikTok. I've never uploaded, though. You're just a watcher on TikTok. Veggie Mans. F-E-J-I-M-A-N-Z or said, depending on what country you're in. Well, I found out my brother Russell, is he watches TikTok all the time. Oh, weird. Which blew my mind. That's so yeah. weird to me. You, of course, make a living out of trying to be banned by as many people uh, on Twitter. So that's going pretty well for you, I hear. Well, I, I recently got unbanned. From Angels Baseball Twitter. Did you really? Yeah, it took. Oh, that's exciting. It took five years, but I got it done. <laughs> the biggest fan of the Angels Baseball team that I know of and was banned from their official Twitter account. I, I, I searched my entire Twitter history and I only found two email, or tweets that I ever actually tagged Angels in. And mm-hmm. they, they were just me being frustrated that the team's horrible. That, that, that doesn't speak uh, highly of them as, a, as an outfit. Yeah. But, um, Dave, do you have any questions about baseball? Uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm not a baseball guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I'm from right. Toronto, and I was in the hospital when they won their first uh, championship. So uh, I think I'm just bitter that I didn't get but, to parade. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. The last winning sports team. No, it's sorry. I was going to make a Toronto joke, but I guess the Raptors just won. So I Apparently. guess they are a winning, a winning t- a town once again. No, uh, that town doesn't win on anything, but let's keep moving. <laughs> doesn't uh, it win on the most amounts of Drake? <laughs> uh, fuck Drake. <laughs> fuck Drake. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Grant, 
I did, I want to know just broadly, what is your relationship with Galaxy Quest? Like, first time you saw it, how many times have you seen it since? Well, it, uh, Galaxy Quest came out in 99, right? Yeah. So that was a kind of a weird transitional period for me, but moving from California to Canada. So I kind of, like that whole year for movies, I kind of missed out on a little bit of, of it here and there. Right. I mean, I saw Matrix, but that was all I could. Who, who yeah. didn't see Matrix that year? And I mean, I can barely remember going to that. But yeah, that whole year is kind of lost. So I ended up seeing it. Uh, Blake, my friend, told me about it. I'm pretty certain. And he saw it. I'm, but I mean, if you see the trailer for the movie, you, you most people wouldn't want to go see that movie. Yeah, it's, uh, we, we might jump into this after we watch the movie, but uh, the marketing for this movie is not the greatest. When you go back and see uh, who they thought the audience was versus who the audience actually ended up being. Um, would you rate this like as far as even just comedies in your personal top 10 or like where does it fall for you? Well, it's uh, infinitely rewatchable. And the fact that it is a thing that houses a Tim Allen, I can still get past that. <laughs> sure. But uh, otherwise, I mean, it's really good. The, you know, you have Tony Shalhoub doing something that. Up until that point, I always thought he was an Italian airport mechanic or something. Oh, a taxi driver at an airport in a small town in... For, for, for anyone who is confused, that's a Wings that's reference a wing. that Grant is making. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, for that, and that was the first experience I had with him doing something completely different. And then, mm -hmm. so, it, yeah, it's up there. I wouldn't put it in the top 20, but I mean, it's one of my movies that I'll watch if it's on TV for sure every time. I have to say, though, this movie, and I'm sure you agree with this, Dave, is like how they got this cast uh, at that time. Because, I mean, you have Sigourney Weaver. Tim Allen was like the biggest name on the planet at that point with like uh, Home Improvement and everything. But you have like, yeah, Tony Shalhoub. Um, oh, gosh. What's his face? Who plays Guy in this movie? Yeah, oh. Sam Rockwell. So I'm Sam, like Sam Rockwell's Rockwell. breakout role. Yeah. Yeah. Like. There's and then there's like bit like Rain Wilson shows up for two seconds in this movie before The Office. I know, but still, it's like no, all these people who would go on to be like just shoot huge. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but Dave, what is your relationship with this movie? Uh, it's yeah, one of my favorite movies. Uh, I have this on digital video disc. I love this movie, and it has been mentioned uh, uh, by Grant. Uh, I still think it's infinitely rewatchable. I can't remember the last time I watched it, but I'm excited to watch it right now. Yes, right now oh, we wink, are going to be watching winking it. Yeah, together, the three of us. One thing that I can say about uh, Galaxy Quest, it's one of the few movies that I own, standard definition DVD and Blu-ray. <laughs> oh, great. Right. Do you, often, do you just want to like play them side by side sometimes just to see that fidelity that you're getting from your Blu-ray disc? Uh, yeah, uh, this, it's, it's, uh, it's very... Uh, important that I check every single copy of every single movie that I own with yeah. its comparable uh, LaserDisc VHS beta platform. You just, you just dated uh, yourself. You went LaserDisc. Yeah. We still haven't broached LaserDisc for all of the younger listeners. It's a, with that yeah. the, the first time a I ever experienced a LaserDisc, I was at a Christian camp up in the, the hills of California. And for some reason, we were in their little, like their... What are those people called? The uh, camp counselor little loft areas. And all of a sudden sure. I saw a, a, a laser disc player for the first time in my life and my mind exploded. And I was so happy to see it. For people who don't know it, it requires two hands. It <laughs> yeah, requires you have two, to use two hands. hands to like, <laughs> that on. Um, I just think everything in disc format was better. You had your laser disc, your mini disc. The 90s were the perfect. I had epic. a mini disc player for some reason. And my dad got it yeah, for me. Why? <laughs> why? What do you mean why? That was the future until it wasn't. That that was it, that was. It, hey, Mister Betamax, how's it going over there? <laughs> it's, um, it served me well one time ever, and it was because at my high school the theater department had a mini disc player. So I that's random. So I, yeah. I could I could <laughs> end of story. So I, I was able to like put all my sound cues on a mini disc player and then take it with and me and then me. play it at home and go over all that <laughs> stuff. Though that's one instance in life that it actually worked out yeah. well for me ever when i was a camp counselor in pittsfield massachusetts one summer uh one of the other camp counselors had a mini disc player and we would play billy joel and that's how lame that's of a person i am very specific yeah wow uh, my, joel. my i actually 
you know, Dave, you're getting used to me saying, I've never seen this movie before. Galaxy Quest is one of the films I absolutely saw. It, uh, it would definitely have been probably in the year 2000 is probably when I eventually got around to it whenever it came out on uh, VHS. It would have been that my parents would have rented this on so that we could watch it. And I remember loving it. I know that, of course, that this is a bit of a satire on Star Trek in general. And I probably would have been a little bit knowledgeable, like I... The, the reruns of the original series of Star Trek came on on Saturday, so I would watch those occasionally. Uh, I dipped in and out of Next Generation, so I was a little bit familiar with what was going on there. It had probably ended by 1999. I'm, I'm sure it would have ended by 1999. So I knew like of Star Trek, but I probably wouldn't have understood like the behind the scenes of Star Trek that this movie I know eventually goes into. But I still had enough of it be like, this is funny, this is really good. And I've probably seen it, I'm going to say at least five times, five or six times throughout my entire life. But probably like you, it's probably been over a decade since the last time I actually sat down and watched Galaxy Quest. So it'll be exciting to see uh, what my feelings are uh, at this point. So let's do this. Let's go and watch the movie. I'll thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking about the movie Galaxy Quest. Hey there, everyone. Just Kyle breaking in here one more time to tell you about some of the companies that make this show possible each and every week. I don't know about you, but I am getting geared up for this coming fall. The weather's going to be cooler. We're going to have nonstop election coverage. It's just a great time to be alive, he said non-sarcastically. We need to start by saying that Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This week, we are sponsored by ATB and specifically the Future of Podcast. So I want to talk to you about ATB's new podcast, The Future Of. You join Todd Hirsch, ATB's Vice President and Chief Economist, as he connects with special guests who offer unique and useful perspectives about the future. You can explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunity it creates. From the future of women in business to the changing nature of work itself. The future of helps us understand what's coming and what we need to do today to get the tomorrow we want. Featuring two episodes each month plus bonus episodes, the future of includes interviews with top community and business leaders from Alberta and around the world. Subscribe to the future of in the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. And connect to ask your questions about the future by emailing thefutureof at atb.com. This week, we're also brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network. So let's go and listen to one of the other great shows. Hi, y'all. This is Ryan from the Eat More Barbecue Podcast. I'm just a guy that loves slow-smoked southern barbecue. I love eating it. I love cooking it. And I really love talking about it. I want to help grow the barbecue culture here in Alberta. This podcast is a great way for me to share the stories of the people involved in the barbecue community, like restaurant operators and competitive barbecue cooks. Along the way, I also visit with other folks like farmers, distilleries, breweries, and anything of interest to barbecue people. A new episode comes out every Wednesday wherever you listen to podcasts. Keep on smoking, folks. All right. Um, well, not to spoil it, but I think it definitely holds up. That's my that's my stamp that I'm going to put here right now. Just hit uh, stop on the recorder. And, and we're, we're done. done. Uh, thanks for coming over, Grant. <laughs> we are finished. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, this is... Uh, no, It was great. Uh, I can't wait to talk about this with everyone. But before we do, let's go through some background information. So Galaxy Quest was released on Christmas Day, December 25th of 1999. The other major releases that came out on that same day was Angela's Ashes, Magnolia, and The Talented Mr. Ripley all came out on the same day. So that's a pretty heavy hitting uh, day, which nowadays I don't feel like that would happen. Usually like one movie comes out on the 25th and everyone else kind of flees that. So it's like, you're the Christmas movie. We'll kind of go off here. That's, That's a good four movies though, right there. Yeah, I know. Like that's a kind of kind of a strong slate to open up on Christmas Day of 1999. You know, like the the new millennium is coming up, and they were like, "Let's blow our wad right before the new millennium Y2K. comes out." Because we don't know if anyone can see it. Like Y two K is coming. Y2K. We don't know. Yeah. No, no better way to celebrate Christmas than Angela's ashes. 
<laughs> so f- the feel good true. movie of the, the winter. The feel good movie <laughs> of the year. The family I mean, event. <laughs> to tell you the truth, Magnolia isn't like the most happy movie by the end either. So oh. I rated R as well. So oh. yeah. yeah. Anyways, that movie so, has fallen out of my brain prolifically. Uh, Magnolia is just gone. Well, if and when we get to review it, I cannot wait to talk to somebody about that movie. Um, currently, it is rated seven point three on IMDb. It's rated 70 on Metacritic. I think these people are rating it way too low. That's uh, low. Based on Rotten Tomatoes, though, uh, from 123 critics, it's 89%. Wow. And from 224,233 users, it's at 79%. Hmm. So definitely a fresh film on, on there. It is available on DVD or Blu-ray. You can rent it on uh, iTunes. You can purchase it from iTunes, too. You can also rent it via YouTube or Google Play Movies. You can also stream it in Canada on Amazon Prime or the service Tubi, if you are familiar with Tubi. It is making, you're just making that up now. I know. I could literally make up any two random vowels sounds, and I'd be like, oh, that's a streaming service. I love Quiqua. Its budget was $45 million. It opened to $7 million. Now, some people, I think, erroneously think this was a flop at the box office, which you'll see kind of it kind of isn't overall. Domestically, it would make 71. Internationally, it would make 19. So that's a total of $90 million it would make. So that's twice the budget that it, that it started out with. With inflation, that's $139.5 million that this movie made. But definitely became a cult classic afterwards, uh, for sure. Its plot description from IMDb is, The alumni cast of a space opera television series have to play their roles as the real thing when an alien race needs their help. However, they also have to defend both Earth and the alien race from a reptilian warlord. So that is technically the plot of this movie. I can't say that that's not the plot of this movie. But certainly doesn't give you the tone that this movie is going for. They should have just said, this is a satirical biopic of William Shatner's life. Pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) It stars Tim Allen as Jason Nesmith, Sigourney Weaver as Gwen DeMarco, Alan Rickman as Sir Alexander Dane, and Enrico Colantoni as Mathisar. So let's start with Enrico Colantoni, who I'm sure I'm butchering his last name. You are. He was born on Valentine's Day, 1963. He began do, doing TV guest spots in the late 1980s, and he'd jump into films in the late 90s, being in such things as The Wrong Guy, Stigmata, and AI Artificial Intelligence. Now, I've told you this like five times, Kyle, in my life, but I, I saw Stigmata three times in movie theaters. Why? Patricia Arquette? <laughs> no! <laughs> I don't know! Yo, my palm started to bleed. I was like, I guess I'm going back to the movie theater. I know there was a time period at my university, they would play movies on this one channel. Like someone would put it into a DVD player and they would like broadcast to like the whole campus. I don't know how legal this actually was now that I'm saying this out loud. Anyway, Stigmata seemed to be like this movie that would constantly play. I'm like, why are we watching Stigmata again? Anyways, he'd go on to be in two TV series that could not be more different from one another. First, he was Elliot DeMauro in the sitcom Just Shoot Me where he played a womanizing photographer in all 149 episodes. And then he'd be in the show Veronica Mars as Veronica Mars's dad in a role that Kyle is still upset he was never nominated for an Emmy for. Since then, he'd consistently appear in bit parts on TV and film with such things as iZombie, Contagion, House of Versace, Westworld, and A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Up next is a film called Shark Week, with no plot description. Can we just add that he was the father in Feel the Beat, a movie oh. that I keep telling Kyle that he should watch on Netflix. Is that an animated film? No. No, that's her going back into a, a dancer goes back to her hometown. And yeah. The New York uh, dancer saves the rec that center fails. Or something. Oh, yeah. Saves the rec center. I was going to watch good. that. I, I, I got to watch that. I love those types of movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I'm a sucker uh, for them. Are they allowed to dance in their small town, though? Is that against the law? No, it's not Footloose. It's, okay. uh, yeah, it's adorable, though. Because the I'm she's gotta down, bring bring hope bring hope to the children of this small town. You'll really get mm-hmm. it, Kyle. It sounds like a place you're. It's a very non Dave sounding movie to me, but that's uh, <laughs> okay. Okay, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman was born February twenty first, nineteen forty six. Oh, okay, and that's he's my birthday buddy. Who Alan? <laughs> yeah, Rickman? February twenty first. Me, Alan Page, and Alan Rickman. February twenty first. Hey, that's a good group of people right there. So he had a career on the stage before jumping to film. He'd become a well-respected dramatic actor. However, for sure, 
one of his most famous roles is as Hans Gruber Hans in Gruber. Die Hard. Greatest. I, don't, greatest I think movies. for depending on what your age is, is like that is probably how you remember him originally. At least is like that is who it was. The uh, slow fall. That, That's genius. The slow oh, the motion fall. fall? Come mm-hmm. on, hundred percent. Didn't they like really drop him? Isn't that the story? Well, instead of going one, two, three, you're going to be dropped. They went one, then dropped him. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. Pure terror. Come uh, on, Kyle. Any, any, any story I've ever heard, though, of Alec Rickman is he would probably have got off of there and then some withering remark and made the other person want to kill themselves for the rest of their life. <laughs> so, <laughs> because he's so he like just that played, British. He played himself in all yeah. his movies. Yeah. <laughs> so he'd follow up Hans Gruber by being in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Sense and Sensibility, Dogma, and Love Actually. For a different generation of people, though, his role as Severus Snape in the Harry Potter films would make him famous again. His last film would be Alice Through the Looking Glass. He began showing signs of sickness in the last couple of years of his life, even committing to doing a sequel to Galaxy Quest. But he would pass away due to pancreatic cancer at the age of 69 on January 14th, 2016. Man, I hate that cancer. It's like my most yeah, hated it, cancer. It's not a great way to go because... From diagnosis to death, it's like a few months. Like it goes. Unless you're Alex Trebek. That's true. He's kicking strong. Canadian blood in him. Actually, I think you believe believe you meant to say who is Alex Trebek. (laughs) Oh, come on. Hey, yo. So, Dave, I'm going to send you over the rest of this stuff to talk about, and you can take it from here. Sure. Sigourney Weaver, born October 8th, 1949. Sigourney Weaver would make her film debut in 1977 in a bit part in Annie Hall. Only two years later, she would skyrocket to popularity by starring in Alien as Ripley. What a fucking awesome movie. By the way, did you know that in the sequel, in Aliens, she was nominated for Best Actress? Good. That movie's amazing. I I agree, but it's weird that she was nominated for the sequel and not the original. Anyways. Well, I mean, I think the first one's a horror movie. uh, That's true. Yeah. Come on. She would continue on by being in the next three alien films and be perceived not just as a sex symbol for lonely teenage... Kyle, this copy, buddy. Uh, what? Perceived not just as you a sex me, symbol you... for lonely teenagers, but also as a badass action hero. Other films I'll she'd be in... It. I'll point out that the, that the machine did not specify whether it was lonely teenage boys or girls. I think it's just in general teenagers. Just so Other know. films she'd be in are Ghostbusters, Gorillas in the Myth... Oh, sorry, Gorillas in the Mist for which she received an Oscar nomination, Working Girl, and The Ice Storm. She's become in recent years the elder stateswoman of sci-fi, showing up in bit parts in Wally, Paul, and The Cabin in the Woods. She's set to be in a bunch of sequels, but her most likely next movie that you'll see is Ghostbusters. They're doing another one? Oh, with yeah, Paul Rudd? They, f- they, they filmed it here in Calgary. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. The, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. And then the next four Avatar sequels. Does that say four? Yeah, that's four. They're that they they're filming them simultaneously right now. They they're flying people into New Zealand as we speak to try and finish this uh, next one up to be released in theaters in December. So like four three hour films by James Cameron. Oh yeah, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. He's probably developing new cameras right now as we speak so that he can film these. Grant's reaction was perfect. That was a that was a deep. Sign. I have learned to stop. A be- <laughs> Listen, I have le- learned to stop betting against uh, Dave uh, Dave Cameron. James Cameron. Well, James Cameron. He didn't make it. Yeah, David Cameron yeah. didn't make it. James Cameron. His last two movies have made over two billion dollars, and he continually like invents new things to make his films work. So I mean, like, sure, why James, not? James make Cameron. Seventeen billion dollar movies. James Cameron's existence is exhausting. <laughs> That he's on the same planet right now as me exhausts me. Yeah, just seeing what he does. Oh it's like, ugh. he's going to save the Titanic, dive down there, go film a movie, rescue Guillermo del Toro, like, whatever. I mean, God he bless also, him, but, you know, whatever. He also made Aliens, so... Uh, That's right. Yeah. I'm full right, circle. Going there, Dave. Full circle. The fact that he's not the first person to film in space is is insane to me. I know. It's actually quite amazing that he's not. Well, but. that's what happens when you, when you, you like head fake Tom Cruise into like doing it now or never because <laughs> Tom Cruise has got to do it now because I'm sure if James like I like Avatar 5 might have taken place in space because like underwater is one of them in the air yeah. is another like it's going to be all over the place so maybe when he gets to five it'll be space time but Tim Allen you can listen to our Toy Story 2 episode to hear more about Tim Allen nice cop out Kyle 
Written by David Howard and Robert Gordon. Story by David Howard. David Howard only quote-unquote wrote this movie and a 2018 film called Trek the Movie. Robert Gordon has had large gaps in his writing career. After Galaxy Quest, he also wrote Men in Black 2 and the film A Series of Unfortunate Events. His last film was in 2019 called Wonder Park. Is that the it's animated, an animated one? film? Yeah. Um, so I just want to point out the the reason why there is quotes around how uh, David Howard wrote this movie. It's one of those classic Hollywood things. So David Howard wrote a movie. Let's say it was called Galaxy Quest, although I think it was called something different. That had the basic shell of former actors of a TV show go on an adventure. The studio decided to go in a completely different direction and had uh, Robert Gordon come in and rewrite the movie from scratch. But because the, it was originally optioned from David Howard, his name still appears on the movie, even though nothing that happens in this film was actually written by David Howard. It was all written by Robert Gordon. I can't even think of, I can't think of one element of it really, aside from the very basest of bones that yeah. TV star people get wrapped up in a real life thing. But I mean, even the premise there, I believe the first script was the aliens come to Earth and the thing happens on Earth, which... Yeah, it was, like I said, completely different. If you want to know more, not that I did, but you should watch the documentary about the Galaxy Quest. How did you movie, have time I, since we just watched the movie? I, I would, I, I, we just watched it right now, so I did not have time Incredible. to watch the documentary. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is on Amazon Prime too, so it gives a good overview of like how this all went down and et cetera, et cetera. My family, we just watch Race to Witch Mountain with The Rock in it. The and Rock it sounds e. like the first draft of this movie <laughs> parallels that movie more than Could Galaxy be. Quest. Yeah. We have this we have we have this piece of shit sitting around here. Why don't we make this movie? <laughs> it's weird too watching two thousand and nine Rock. He's like a quarter of the size oh, he is yeah. now. Yeah, no, it's true. He, uh, he was only he was only eating like five pounds of beef a day back then. He was still the people's champ though, I'm pretty sure. I'll say, um, I said it before, I'll say it again. If he just stopped working out for like five years and committed to a real decent movie, I think he would be Oscar nominated Dwayne The Rock Johnson. What do you mean? He's everything he's in is gold, man. It is gold, <laughs> but they're never, they're never going to give that man a little Oscar An award? ever. No. He's incredible. Crush it. Who will be the first wrestler to win an Oscar is my question. Well, it's clearly going to be for Money Plane. I have a co-writing credit on that. <laughs> money. Oh, you actually know about yeah, Money Plane. It's going to be Edge <laughs> in Money Plane. I uh, love speaking it. of wrestling, we watched uh, that kid wrestling movie on Netflix. That was quite good, too, with The Mask. If you've watched that, that's a good movie. You would like that if you're a wrestling fan. I just can't remember what I'm, it's called. I'm not, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's on Netflix. It's the kid finds the luchador mask, gives him superpowers. You know what? Oh, I, yeah, I, I probably would like that, yeah. It's, you're it's, getting very close to Jerry Seinfeld today. It's amazing. It's on Netflix. Listen, yeah. I have a six-year-old at home, and we watch only great movies. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> bad. Uh, All right. Finish off your last thing here before this episode turns three hours long. <laughs> How long? Oh, we've been taping for 30 minutes. This movie is directed by Dean Parisot. Parisot? I don't know if he's French. I think it's Sot. I think it is the T. Is you hear the T. It depends. And he has got an interesting career. Oh, yeah. It's weird. Before Galaxy Quest, the only other film Dean Parisot has written was Home Fries. Before that, he had done a bunch of work in television. After this movie, he jumped back to TV... Sorry, he jumped back to TV to do such things as Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Tick, Monk, and Modern Family. Which Tick? Pro actually, by the sequence, it was... Live uh, action Tick. Li the first Tick. The first, yeah. not the Amazon one. Amazon actually was pretty good. I, I like the Amazon one too, yeah. He then get back into movies to direct Fun with Dick and Jane and Red 2. The next film you'll be able to see with... Uh, the next film you'll be able to see will be Bill and Ted Face the Music, whenever oh, that gets released. Yeah, like what a weird, baffling career. And the weird thing about it is, I mean, according to the documentary, if I had seen that, um, not that I have, is that he's like super well liked. Like this guy is like a super well loved director. I don't know why he doesn't do more projects. So I don't know. Well, it's weird. I mean, uh, Red 2 was, uh, that's a big. That's a movie. Big time. It was, it was a movie that happened. Um, all right. Well, let's rip the band I need off here. So, uh, Grant, let's start with you. Overall thoughts of Galaxy Quest now seeing it here uh, many years later. Well, this is the uh, this is the company line in Hollywood uh, that it's the best Star Trek movie. 
I mean, you can't go that far in Hollywood without a nerd saying that this is the best Star Trek movie. So I stick by that. Well, how about this? Why do you think people say that then? Obviously, it doesn't have any of the Star Trek actors. So why do people? Why are people so fond of this movie? Well, the the it's a two uh, two pronged approach that it like even though they were in ridiculous situations like teleporting the 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 animal inside out onto the ship, like those things wouldn't work on Star Trek. But then when you think about it, that should happen all the time on Star Trek. Like that's just like you know it's. Like the Orville is kind of starting to get their hands on, on these sorts of things, the day-to-day operations. But the second thing, the other prong of this whole thing was acknowledging fan culture before anybody else really did it. I, I really want to dig into that a little bit more because I think it has, it's such a fascinating uh, look into fan culture in the late 90s and where it has grown to be in modern day. But uh, Dave, why don't you tell me, what are your thoughts on Galaxy Quest in the year 2020? Yeah, I'll echo everything grant said uh i would maybe phrase it it's uh, satire and a homage i think it tells you everything it's it makes fun of itself but it also shows you why it was the best <laughs> it was the best show ever it's it's weird and uh yeah the convention and the uh, fan thing is so important uh, a quick shout out to justin long uh, that was I one know. of the greatest nerd performances of all time framed his uh, career i think <laughs> can, can i just tell you that he actually has one of my favorite line readings in this movie which is when he asks him what his name is and he's like he looks up brandon he does it like (laughs) as a question and i think it's such a brilliant way to phrase that that line it's so funny for some some reason just assumed you were going to say the another great line read i mean they you know i knew it like i knew it exactly i'm just like because every time i hear them i get goosebumps and i'm just like oh oh, perfect It's so neat. Uh, and you know what? And they almost got rid of him from the movie. I know. They almost cut him out completely, which I think is hilarious. Oh, in the, the, in the post? The, huh? the, the director fought for Like, no, we have to keep his scenes in. Like, yes. or else it doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, yeah. And every, everybody's good. Every, everybody's amazing in this movie. There isn't a single weak performance. I, I, I agree. I think it's, it's a few different things from that. Number one. It seemed like the studio was like hell bent on making this a bad movie. Like when you just look at all the decisions they made and that they had to fight for. I think everyone is cast perfectly here. I would even go so far as to say I think this is the best Tim Allen performance of any movie that he's been in. Um, Even if you take into account the Toy Story movies, I think this is literally his best performance. Well, I've only I've only really not counting Toy Story. I've only liked one of his movies, and that was Big Trouble. Santa Claus. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Which for some reason that movie just gets to me. You know, you mean you're you're not a wild hog fan, no. Grant? <laughs> my, Come my on. dad loved that movie, but no, I can't. I think yeah. my dad watched that Wild Hogs like 17 times because it was always on HBO. Jesus. Oh wow. Uh, but I think I think that probably is because of the cast. You have like Sigourney Weaver and Alan Rickman and Tony Shalhoub, all these like phenomenal act, like even Sam Rockwell, phenomenal actors. I think they just elevate all the material where they're they were given free reign to try different things and and, and experiment a little bit. And I also think, I think what what is cool to talk about this movie as compared to the movie we talked about last week, which was Mystery Man, is why I don't think that that movie necessarily works for me as much as what this one does, is that this one, its tone is very singular, which is like, and the director has actually talked about this, this is why I'm I'm saying it, uh, phrasing it this way, which is, this is a drama with comedy elements put into it. And those comedy elements actually just land so much harder because it's like when Alan Rickman is fed up he is an actor fed up. He's not hamming it up. He's not like goosing the joke at all. Tim Allen is playing like an, a self-obsessed uh, braggart. He, he is William Shatner, yes, in this movie. But he's, again, not playing that up for laughs or the camera. He just is that character. And I think that that makes what both makes the comedy land and the drama land so well in this movie. And the last thing I'll say is that I think it would be the easy approach to take a look at this and be like, do what a lot of satires do and be like, isn't it stupid for people to like this? And it never does. It's like the fans love this. And that's actually what gives these actors meaning. And also gives the people watching it meaning at the the back. And we could talk about like the, the dark side of fan culture that this doesn't really get into. But I think at the basis, like if you are a fan of anything, that's what it does. It's like, this is the stupid little show that aired on television that in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter, but it matters to me. And that in itself makes this important. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong for liking something. And I think that that's a, co- a cool way to, a, to I don't know, process this movie. To 
compare it to last week's episode, quote unquote, and even to the Toy Story 2 episode, one of the parts that makes that work is how they would actually produce the, the original series and then, mm-hmm. you know, compare it to what's actually happening in the ship. So there's right. this great uh, part where you see what they're making fun of, uh, but when they make it a reality, it becomes an action or a drama film, which is uh, genius. I, I don't know if it's intend- intended to be or if in retrospect, it got pieced together that way. I mean, that we'll never truly know. I haven't watched the documentary. I didn't have time because right. we just finished uh, watching the movie. We just watched the movie, yeah. Um, yeah. So, but you know, people always reminisce that they intended for this to be a perfect movie, uh, but uh, yeah. but it works. You have to so take well. that with a grain of salt all the time. Well, the, the, big, of what that means. the big rumor of Galaxy Quest has always been the fabled R-rated cuts. That out there, there's an R-rated cut somewhere. Well, I mean, I don't. I, you you can't argue with the fact that there was at least two instances where you can see for sure that Sigourney Weaver does not say what no, she actually says it, on screen. Exactly. It's like, oh, she just used the F word, and they filled that but in. But there was just no way to so. She's yeah. my favorite word. Yeah. Fuck. But it was. Uh, um, but when I, I I have seen the documentary and. Kind of now, the more I, I saw about the documentary, it kind of like brought that back a little bit more where maybe mm-hmm. that R-rated cut was more of a, you know, like a hope that we could have one day had where it doesn't really exist. It's like, yeah, they're, they're like, yeah, there's some more swearing, but really this is what we wanted to make. This was what it was, which makes me feel yeah. better. I mean, I would have liked to her, her to say, oh, fuck that instead of going through the mashers. But still, the fact that we can see her say, oh, fuck that. And yeah. she's saying is it itself kind of like a funny in joke yeah. thing too, uh, but one day they will release the Snyder cut of Galaxy Quest. So uh, you had to do that. I am uh, on board with all the cuts. <laughs> yeah, all the cuts. We, all the different. If we get versions. nineteen Blade Runners, let's just <laughs> That's true. come on. I'll give you yeah, Blade Runners. One thing I love Blade Runner, uh, and the, I will. I don't know if I brought them this podcast, but uh, when I was uh, going through my twenty-four hour sleep deprivation EEG uh, from my medical problems, I watched Mad Max in the Chrome, black and white. Right. Yeah, you yeah. got to watch that in black okay. and white. It's it's on the blue. It's on the Blu-ray. Whatever. It's it's fucking incredible. God. Yeah. But moving on. Yeah, I'll stop talking. And I'm all I'm all for all the cuts. All the cuts. The, but the, my favorite thing about the Blade, I just wanted to make it. I, I always like to make the episode as whatever podcast I'm on as long as possible. Sure. But you, when you start talking about Blade Runner, the one thing that always surprised the hell out of me was how some of them are just really, really bad cuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I've seen like five or six but of them, but like two of yeah. them are bad. Yeah, that's, yeah. but that's why there's so many cuts. Yeah. So no, we have to keep revisiting it. It's fascinating. Like, oh, yeah, no, it could be good this yeah. way. Yeah. Well, I mean, not even <laughs> derail it, but it, I, I, hate i know that's a strong word for me but i hate it when i see the reporting of like first cut of the new avengers film is four and a half hours long i'm like yeah because it's like the first cut it's not going to be that long <laughs> when it gets released like stop reporting this I, well Anyways. that's probably a post lord of the rings thing because i was a big yeah. extended edition guy but uh but it still disappointed me as a, a nerd of the books but i think that's probably where that culture started coming from because give uh, me my tom bombadil cut right when, yeah. when you're dealing with those russo brothers though they're not filming extra stuff really sorry you just <laughs> use quotations are they not real brothers is that what you're saying or is their last name not really russo? no i'm lumping in the Rene russo as well so oh, it's the loose right, right, collaboration right. of russos um but yeah like they those are people that don't shoot a lot of extra stuff either so i mean mm-hmm. like in a deleted scenes for those types of movies is minimal at best. So people yelling four hour cut, it's like, well, probably not. You're just a little crazy. Um, so I did write some things down, uh, although I will say about uh, for the last 40 minutes, I forgot to write any notes because I was just like watching the movie then at that point. Um, I think we were talking about how this really relates to Star Trek and they definitely utilize some language from that series. Uh, old friend is used a few times. So if you're knowledgeable Star Trek, that's used over and over again between Spock and Kirk. I found it hilarious just knowing about modern day um, conventions that the expensive autograph signing was $15. I'm like, oh, that's sweet that you think that that's expensive nowadays when you can spend 300 bucks on a on a $300? Easily, if you yeah. go to these things, you have to pay three hundred dollars. Depends on who it is. If you're talking to like Nathan Fillion, probably up to that point, like two hundred dollars at least. Kyle, uh, Nathan Lane, paid? a grand, notorious. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Nathan notorious Lane. stingy. I mean, you you joke, but if you went to Broadway Con, you're probably not wrong. Um, uh, have you paid that, Kyle? No, of course not. I don't pay for autographs. I would never do that. 
I, I just go and look at them signing autographs. Like, oh, that's cool. That's that person. I'm not that's paying you crazy. that money. Holy I mean, if you're like a, a Yakov Shmirnov, you're going to probably charge $15 still. But if you're one of the big names, yeah, you can charge a lot. Which is why they go and do conventions nowadays, because they can make a ton of cash in like what? two hours of work. I was, why are you bagging on uh, Yakov, man? That's brutal. Yeah. In in Russia, autograph signs you, right? <laughs> That's correct. That is correct. I just want to, again, call out the fact that Tony Shalhoub does such great physical acting in this. Uh, like, he's not given, like, many lines in this movie, but what he's doing... He's giving like, faces. Physically. He's doing faces. Like, you're working so overtime, but you're not, again, you're not not a character like you're still in character and this makes everything work so good so tony shalhoub shout out to tony the, shalhoub the face that uh sam rockwell makes when tony shalhoub and the alien are having sex oh, yeah. is golden statue worthy he shouldn't have won for three billboards he should have won for that face <laughs> even right uh, there even the uh delayed scream when they're getting probed oh my god <laughs> finally yes, it's so good switch that was amazing <laughs> yeah there's so many great scenes in this movie that still work as a comedy i think they're great um i think that there is uh, certain things too uh that call back to like any like science fiction show uh, and criticism that people always make one of my favorite is like them opening the back door and they're like what are you doing do you, how do you, you don't know it's air. You don't know. Like, is this like without them actually testing the atmosphere, which is uh, something that happened in one of the aliens films, just by the by, where they just take off their helmets for no reason. That was the latest one, wasn't it? The Naomi Rapisha. Prome- no, it was the second latest one that, that they took the helmets off. That I yeah. yell, I think a guy yelled at you for like two hours about that movie one time. Oh yeah, we, <laughs> we, 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 we fought it out over that movie. What a piece of crap. So- uh, anyways. <laughs> Uh, just run sideways. Okay, so we have the <laughs> the, the I, I just again I want to call out Alan Rickman as well. Just talking about performances. I think that anyone can feel bad for like the insufferable. Like I have to say this stupid line. Here's what I was not expecting while watching this movie, and this is going to be embarrassing, but I'm going to admit it anyway. Is that I cried while watching this movie this time. I was hiding it as much as I could from the both of you while we were watching this, but I did. I, and I don't know why. Maybe it's just because of this stupid like reality we're living in here currently, and everything that's happened over the last few months. But the like, I'm not going to say it. And, like this, this the the phrase is stupid, and then. That death scene where he's like, by grab Thar's hammer, I will avenge you. It's like, oh my God. It's like, for some reason, it like literally teared me up and I don't know why, but it's like just Alan Rickman being great. That was the, that was the theater gravitas. How yeah. understated that was and how intense. Fuck man, that's, uh, that was a moment. Yeah. That was a moment. By the way, I, I, I know I keep talking about the documentary, but my favorite That you've anecdote. never seen, of course. But I've never seen. But my favorite anecdote, if I had seen the movie, was um, there's that scene where the uh, Eric Colantino is being uh, tortured, right? And then they bring over Tim Allen, and he's like, "We're actors," and like whatever. He's supposed to get emotional. Apparently, Steven Spielberg was on set that day and was like super impressed and was like helping out. Anyways, that happens, and he was like, um, "Tim Allen had to announce the the cast and crew, like, hey, I actually have to take a moment because I'm actually feeling really bad.'" <laughs> I've gotten into it too much and I'm going to go back to my trailer. And apparently Alan Rickman from behind him is like, oh no, everybody, he's come down with a case of acting. <laughs> and I, I just it's love perfect. that story so should have so left much. it in the cut. I know. <laughs> you know speaking uh, before about uh, James Cameron, how does Steven Spielberg appear on all of the seminal sci-fi? Somehow he's involved yeah, in everything. He just kind of shows up, right? He's just there. <laughs> he's like a ghost. It's fascinating. Um, my, my question is for you, is because people think of this at least tangentially as a Star Trek film, do you think it would have been as good if they had actually used the original cast of Star Trek to actually be in this film? No. No. Why? Well, they're too close to it. You know, the, the fact that you can distance Alan Rickman as the Leonard Nimoy character, and it's not, you can have that small little bit of puffy little distance between the two made it so that it was Alan Rickman being sincere and not Leonard Nimoy being Leonard Nimoy being sincere. I need to admit that I'm always being sincere. It was right. like, it, it's not that meta category yeah. that you're getting into. Yeah. I also think, you know, the original cast wasn't capable of performing the way that this cast would have. <laughs> Imagine trying to get Shatner to do that. 
<laughs> without without having a hissy fit because <laughs> he, he wouldn't he wouldn't understand that he's in on the joke he would think that he's making fun of somebody and he's trying to find right. that somebody I, I think, he's making fun of like his snl sketch you know that all the people it's just a tv show like he would be looking there to poke people and tim allen is sadly just not aware of the fact that he could have been doing that so hmm. he just did it sincerely and like you said it's probably his best acting he's ever done Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just saw you laughing, Dave. When we caught me off guard. <laughs> well, we'll just bag on Tim Allen a little bit and uh, and then hit stop. Uh, <laughs> and then hit stop. But how about Sigourney Weaver, everyone? I will not bag on Tim Allen because I keep kind of coming back to this idea. Is that I think what's fascinating about this is that yes, like the William Shatner is there, but there's a, a humanity that he brings to it that Kirk. Yeah. Kirk never really had like I don't know how big either of you are with the Star Trek franchise like I've seen all the movies I've seen nowadays I've seen all the original and all of the next generation I've not actually seen any of the other stuff past that but when people like have those debates about who do they like better do they like Picard do they like um, Kirk better Kirk was definitely like the take charge and like we'll wrestle with the alien and Picard was always like the sentimental like let's think this through and let's like have this humanity discussion and he was a diplomat. And I find that this, if, if anything, this is like a trajectory of like someone going from a Kirk to a Picard. And I just think that that's like a really interesting way to frame this movie. Um, but I don't know if you agree with that or not. Yeah. But I don't know about, yeah, intentionally going that way. But certainly I think there's a great moment of reflection when you're retired and looking mm-hmm. back at right. your uh, career or hubris or whatever you want to call it. So there's a, yeah, there's definitely a thing about redemption there for him, but I don't, I don't know, Picard's a, I was just thinking before when you're asking about the cast, I mean, the next generation had better acting or at least more right. modern acting, but I, I don't know, outside of Patrick Stewart, could Jonathan Frakes have pulled off this movie? I don't maybe. If maybe. you had the beard on, yes. Uh, beard, no yes, beard, beard no. off, yeah. no. Well, I mean, they've, they did, uh do kind of a weird take on the next generation version of this when they all showed up on family guy and they all poked fun at themselves uh and told uh will wheaton to shut up (laughs) well they also did like the original cast on futurama so that's like a a well-worn self-referential thing to do yeah but i never watched futurama i only watched family guy I'm, I'm sorry. Is good. You 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 always have to check up on how Stewie's doing. I remember. <laughs> um, I guess the last thing is that you know we often ask this of how do you think that there is any cultural relevance to these movies that we're watching from 1999? Um, where do you stand on that, Grant? Cultural relevance. I mean, yeah. If this movie would have come out just five years later, it would have been marketed properly. It would have done well, you know, probably made a hundred million dollars in the States. Uh, cultural relevance, I mean, sure, it is an idealized version of fan culture. But I mean, when you start broaching or going into those certain new areas that movies haven't gone before, you normally start with the rose colored glasses and then you slowly strip that away. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like I like that whole year is weird for me. Like I can only remember honestly ever going to one movie in a theater that year. And it was just which was the Matrix. Which was the or? Matrix, yeah. Well, I mean, I think you you're, you're hitting on something here because 1999 is such a different than 2019, right? Yeah. Which is uh, the geeks have inherited the world. Like everything is marketed towards like nerd culture nowadays. When it really wasn't in 1999, that was not how things were portrayed. You were still an outcast if you were conceived to be like a nerd or a geek. Um, and I don't, I just don't see that being the case anymore. So it's kind of almost flipped on its head, which is where you see kind of that negativity and that darkness of fan culture and, and what that eventually brings up. Um, so you have that little bit of, I don't know. Yeah. Like you said, rose colored glasses, but I, I don't, I, Dave, I have a very specific thing I want to bring up, but, but what do you think about this cultural relevance idea? Well, I mean, my first thought is I, I want to know what this dark side of fan culture does you guys keep referencing. Uh, uh, it okay, sounds just, like uh, serial killers, but yeah, uh, it's always, it always is serial killers. Always comes back to serial I, killers. It has to be a serial killer yeah. or maybe in modern Hollywood, uh, much worse with, uh, yeah. Uh, with I, all I'm saying is that, uh, you, you, you've seen that being enacted in a few different ways where 
uh, fan culture grew from something like I love this thing to you owe me this thing yeah. where I you need to give it to me the exact way they want. I mean, I just referenced the Snyder Cut. The only reason that happened is because they bullied Warner Brothers for the last three years to release the Snyder Cut of that. Um, and they finally capitulated to actually allow doing it, even though it wasn't a thing. Like they're literally putting more money into it so it, they can release this thing that never existed in and the they, first place. They, they capitulated and still did it poorly. Right. Like they should have, if, if, if they were the smartest people in the entire world, they would have already been talking to Snyder for a year and had it lined up to be dropped the minute HBO Max was let free. Oh, by the way, tomorrow we get the Snyder cut. You're welcome, world. <laughs> Isn't that the nature of capitulation, though? That uh, Do it poorly. It's yeah. never going to be good enough. Yeah. It has to be done. It ends up being done poorly because it's never with uh, yeah. pure intent. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, well. Uh, but, so, but then the other, I mean, the other big one, too, is like now with the rise of social media and stuff and being able to like actually physically respond to specific people. Like, I mean, uh, the biggest one I'm just thinking off the top of my head here is, um, oh, gosh, what's her name? Ke- uh, Ke- Kelly, Kelly Tran, Kelly Marie Tran yeah. from the new Star Wars films of basically being like, you were in Star Wars. You're the worst asking her to be like raped and murdered and all that kind of stuff. And her finally having oh, yeah, to be like, I can't go online anymore. Because I just can't engage with this stuff. Like that's kind of the dark side of what I don't fandom think kind no. of eventually brings. I wouldn't put that fan culture. I think that's just the dark side of humanity and social media. Yeah. I mean, fuck social media in general. That, that's not just yeah. uh, nerds. That happens. That happens. I everywhere. know. I'm just saying that that's that's what eventually happens with any fandom. Is like it starts off good and then you see it kind of evolve. Oh, one of my favorite uh, uh, podcasts, The Adventure Zone, is going through that right now, where they think that the person running the new campaign is ruining the entire show so and they <laughs> like to bag on him over and over and over again so it happens everywhere i know but fandom can get to a point it's like you ruined my past like you ruined my childhood is like that classic example it's like no they didn't ruin anything like you still have that movie so I, I i get kind of upset by those people the the ironic destruction of democratization <laughs> well, <it is. laughs> but anyways uh uh, cultural relevance i think i think it i think it works yeah i was just gonna bring up because we i mean ironically we brought we forgot to mention sigourney weaver but her character is this idea of uh how women are ignored in yeah. the tv and movie space well um, especially too because like her entire character right she's just sit there to repeat what the the, the computer right and she but. and her character is actually written with so much more around her which is great too because it, it didn't fall into the trap of just being one-dimensional but but like how um, if I had watched this with my wife, you know, Helen kept asking me why her boobs are out at the end of the yeah. movie, and I was like, well, that's a that's the comedy of it. If you know where science fiction films, including the MCU, yeah. Kyle's uh, vaulted MCU universe, still does this, where uh, yeah. um, every female character has to have um, something out, uh, no matter how armored it is these days. Uh, you, you don't get to see them in full tactical gear. We'll watch the old guard. And we'll see if it's evolving or not. Yeah. But I mean, comic books in general, never mind uh, science fiction. Well, I like uh, with the uh, Wonder Woman 1984, where she's in her Golden Eagle armor. Like that one, she is like head to toe in metal. You know, it's, there's no cleavage. Like it comes up to here on her, you know, and it looks more tactical. But that's one example. Well, I mean, I, yeah, Wonder Woman is an interesting example. They got Patty Jenkins even though I- to fight for that shit. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. But I mean, I'm I'm just saying like that Wonder Woman movie, I have really big problems with the last act of that movie. But up until that point, what I thought was so great is that it was the inversion, right? Where it's like the man is like the underwritten kind of floozy character. And it's the woman who's like the strong, well-rounded character. And people lost their minds because he's an underwritten character. It's like you put up with every woman being underwritten for like the last how many years. Speaking of Star Trek, right? I guess where I fall on this is I do think there is a relevance to it. I think people will pick up on maybe not the very specific examples. If you're not like well-versed in like the backstage politics of the original cast of Star Trek, I think you still understand the character types. Like he's the boorish man who thinks he's all important. This is the, the self-important actor who thinks he's better than what the, the material that he's given, et cetera, et cetera. Where I do find it is that uh, I just know from a lot of creators today how much Galaxy Quest specifically has influenced their filmmaking. MCU is the biggest culprit of this, which is like, hey, we can make something that is serious and funny at the same time without sacrificing either. 
you can have criticism if they execute it properly or not or in a in, uh, well. But uh, I, I see this as being kind of that prototype of what essentially every superhero film started to like grab a hold of and be like, hey, we can do both of these simultaneously instead of only doing one or the well, other. What the MCU wanted to do, but then the DC wanted to fight tooth and nail against. Right. So they wanted to go the dark, brooding, crazy well. Whereas MCU wanted to be popcorn, candy, positivity. That's one right, thing right. I, I just, whenever I think about Galaxy Quest, is it just, it's such a positive experience to behold. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no dourness. No. Like, there's no cynicism really in it a whole lot. I don't know. I, I, I think I love it because going back and like, I can uh, trick myself into being like, oh, the late 90s were so good, even though they probably weren't. But to me, be, oh, this feels so nice. We already know they weren't. We're doing this podcast, Kyle. Yeah, Some of these no, movies have true. been fucking terrible. We just terrible, want to fucking man. run away bride. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, bringing up that, uh, you guys, I'm suddenly reminded of uh, how Star Wars is described to me. And uh, mm. even though that's not a comedy at all, um, this idea of a space opera that actually ends on an optimistic, feel-good note. You know, we have right. all of this violence and war, but in the end, they march down this aisleway, they're given medals, and everybody's like, there's... There's something still valuable and hopeful about the world. This redemption, uh, and this movie has that great tone. Whereas uh, uh, movies don't get to do that anymore. Everything somehow yeah. has to have this one little checkbox where you're like, you're still fucking doomed. You know, <laughs> life sucks. Get on with it. Watch our next film to be continued. Yeah, um, like um, I've been really noticing myself trending towards watching those more positive movies lately, and obviously yes. it's a sign of the times that we're in. But that it's just so nice. To, whatever do you mean, Grant? <laughs> it's just it's just nice to sit there for ninety minutes or whatever and watch something that is just so pure and innocent and positive. Like I just watched Eurovision for the fifth time. I, I couldn't get You're, into it, man. I love it. <laughs> I I think I think it's like um, Stockholm Robitussin, <laughs> where it's like you have to have that first hit, and then it just makes you feel good after. Swallow it first. But it's just, it, like, I know it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but it's such a positive movie. You know, they're not going into Eurovision to make fun of it. They're like, this is a crazy spectacle, and we're going to appreciate the spectacle. And I don't know if I mentioned it before, but uh, Feel the Beat is on Netflix, and it's this movie <laughs> about a, so a dancer. Are you, are you getting paid by Feel the Beat, Dave? <laughs> you know what would be nice, though? If we did get paid... By Feel the Beat, because be nice. that is a Netflix nice. production, and I'd like $100 million, frankly. Uh, we could do a lot with that I money. I mean, technically, good- if we just went to Netflix with a pitch, they'd probably say yes. Like, I don't think they say no to many projects. Well, well there's I, a whole, I'm just saying Netflix. There's a, whole ne- there's a whole Rick and Morty episode about that Netflix says yes to everything. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Already done, Kyle. You gave Ryan Murphy three different series. That man doesn't need any more <laughs> series to work on. We're done here. So uh, the machine is telling us that we need to wrap up here. Um, I guess I just want to say, like, final thoughts. Like, I, like, I really love this movie. Eminently rewatchable. Um, I think there's a lot to it, and I think it's a lot deeper than I think people even remember it to be. Uh, but Grant, final thoughts on Galaxy Quest? It, I hate to say the word inoffensive, but that's it's just that's what it is. There's nothing political. There's nothing anything weird about it. It's just simple meat and potatoes type entertainment for your soul. It's the Midwest of films is what Grant is trying to say. (laughs) Dave, what do you think? uh, To that point, there's a scene where uh, Tim Allen is not wearing any pants. He's bending over. The aliens are staring at presumably either his testicles or his ass. And it's actually funny, and you don't have to <laughs> question the situation at all. It's hilarious. Oh, that, that remind, reminds me in the documentary when he got his when he was fighting the rock monster and he had his shirt off. Yeah, he yeah. gets in. He gets back on the ship, and uh, Tim Allen's like, "Do I just not have a shirt for the rest of the movie now?" <laughs> and they couldn't figure out how to get him a shirt, so they just happened to have an extra holding a shirt to hand to him, so he could put it on during that scene. But it's like, oh my God. I I have to say too, weirdly enough, when his shirt came up, I'm like, oh wow, Tiermont's kind of built here in 1999. I don't know. I have this this feeling that they did the old uh, uh, James James Bond situation where they pack you down with ice, tighten you up first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't think- Oh, is that a thing? Don't drink water for five hours. (laughs) It is a thing. thing. Like Um, the cut. Ah, The fighters do that too. The Roger Moore- was a big uh, got big person later on in his bond years they pat him down with ice whenever he'd take a shirt off they would tighten him up 
And when, Did- when uh, Sean Connery went back in 1980 for Never Say Never Again, he's like, you're going to make me take my shirt off? And they're just like, we'll just dump you in ice like Roger. Like Sean Connery, I think it worked. Roger, did it work? Is that was it effective? I think maybe his first three <laughs> films, maybe. But by the time he was like fifty four, in, in his petted. last film, it's like yikes. <laughs> um, that's an old old man who just got out of some ice. Uh, but Roger was never ripped of any kind. Built. Like yeah. wasn't meant to. Sean be was Sean was in shape for most of his James yeah. Bond movies. I mean, he was a Mister Universe for heaven's sakes. Yeah. And the Highlander. Oh, God. Dave, did you answer the question? I can't actually remember if I asked you the same Wait, question. Wait, which question are we answering? I, I'm completely... Final thoughts. Just final thoughts on Galaxy Oh, Quest. yeah. Final thoughts. Uh, amazing. I'm glad uh, it was everything and more than I remembered it. Yeah, it I'm sounds like just... somebody's going to get wrapped up here pretty soon when they come to the front door. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I just feel like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sad that I haven't watched it in the last 10 years and need to watch it more often. It's great. I mean, now that I know it's on Amazon Prime, I can definitely dip into this way more often than I have in the last few years. So It's one of, it's one of those movies that, you know, sadly, because like the a movie that I've seen and I will only watch once, The Hunt, I think about right. that movie maybe twice a week, honestly. Like it impacted me so wholly. But Galaxy Quest, I'll not think about for 10 years and then I'll watch it three times in a day. Right, right, right. Because it's not in that, it's not there at the tip of my brain. And if that documentary didn't come out uh, last year, I probably wouldn't have thought about it until today, you know, when we watched it again. When you randomly stumbled across this door to walk through. Uh, Says something about human nature, I think. Let's get to our ratings here then. Um, And I'm so sorry to say this uh, to you, Grant. I say this to every guest. Your rating doesn't matter. But if you were to rate this movie out of five, what would you give it? 4.8. Four, okay, oh, great. Nice. I love the yeah. decimal. Yeah, that's good. Dave, decimal. what are you giving this movie? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go with a five, especially because uh, of the dregs we've been watching. Uh, it, it needs to be above most of the shit that's happened. Mm-hmm. I thought 99 was going to be a good year, Kyle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Listen, of- I think we're we're backloading <laughs> a lot of like the the great great films. Um, not that I know what's coming up, but if I was to be a guessing man, that seems like what's going to happen. Uh, that means that oh, sorry, my rating, Dave. By the way, I should also just point out before I give my rating that you can follow us on Letterboxd.com. Uh, so Letterboxd.com/slash/kdvstm is where you can see the full list and all of the ratings that we've given. KDVSTM is also how you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. My rating is I'm, I'm close to that. I, I guess I wasn't ready to commit to that five. I, I don't know if there was just some wiggling thing going on in the back of my mind. I'm getting a 4.5, though. I'm giving it a pretty high rating, which means that this is going to average out to 4.75, which lands Galaxy Quest into our number three position on our list wow even after and, rounding uh, down yeah yeah that's right so i'm gonna say that that is it's a pretty good lock the gas course will probably be in our top 10 by the end of <laughs> this whole project here for ourselves what's above matrix and office space yeah matrix and office space are one and two. Oh yeah a movie that didn't age too terribly well in my humble estimation would be office space but oh, really oh, i think it. i think it ages great so that is that let's get into some trivia here then everyone So, Tim Allen admitted that he was quite starstruck when he met Sigourney Weaver. As he's a huge fan of Alien, Allen even got Weaver to sign some of his Alien memorabilia between takes. She ultimately did, writing, Stolen by Tim Allen, Love Sigourney Weaver, which apparently made him quite upset. (laughs) Oh, he actually got upset about that? At least he didn't have to pay $300. That's pretty funny. (laughs) But that makes me love Sigourney Weaver more. Uh, in the audio commentary for Star Trek 2009, director J.J. Abrams says, By the way, I think we've all gone on record as saying one of our favorite Trek films is Galaxy Quest. And this sequence, where Kirk and Sulu are falling toward Vulcan without a parachute, is clearly an homage to Tony Shalhoub's great save in that film. So some more cultural relevancy as J.J. Abrams is using Galaxy Quest in his future films. I could just leave it as J.J. Abrams is using blank dave why don't you read some of this trivia okay the film proved quite popular with star trek fans at the 2013 star trek convention in las vegas it received enough support in a star trek film ranking that it was included 
with the 12 Star Trek films that had been released at the time on the voting ballot. The fans at the convention ranked it the seventh best Star Trek film. Seventh thing. I want I want to know what the sixth ones they like. I could see Wrath of Khan being sure. people's favorite. I, I like I love Wrath of Khan. But like what other Star Trek film would you be like, oh yeah, it's way better than what Galaxy Quest is? I just can't even what are what are the good I ones? guess you gotta save those whales. You gotta save those whales. Oh god. Alright, let's move on. By the way, uh, where are the uh, sirens whose place is surrounded by sirens right now? Oh uh, mine. I live on McLeod. It is yours? So, yeah. God. I'll just speak so closely into the mic that you'll hear my lips touching the foam here. Uh, despite frequent whining about his character, crewman number six, being expendable and going to die, those, oh man, some good scenes there. Guy Fliegman is not is the only crew member not to be shot and killed by Sarah's during the surprise assault. But that's I think that's a fun a little fact, where he's the only person who doesn't die before they have to go back in time to What episode uh, do you think things. this is? Episode 81. <laughs> that was... Uh, it's just, just amazing. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us here uh, this week, Grant. Um, thank you for having me. Nice meeting you. This, nice meeting this you. It was a lot of fun. The, uh, I guess we should see what we are going to be reviewing next week. Of course, once again, if you want to follow us on any of those social media platforms, it's KDVSTM. You can also email us at Machine at gmail.com. I tried to make the email longer, but could not. So let's see what we are watching next week. Well, while we're out of comedies, well, uh, quote unquote comedies that we've been watching the last few weeks, Dave, next week we're watching The Hurricane. Oh, nice. The Hurricane. Denzel. Yeah, Denzel. Watching punch up <laughs> some dudes. Your face doesn't look too impressed there, Grant. <laughs> it's a movie. Oh. It's well, a movie. No, it's, you know, it's, it's Denzel doing good Denzel stuff. So what more do you need? <laughs> Uh, Dave, before anything too tragic happens, you should probably uh, get out of here. Um, unless you do want to take off your shirt, but I don't know if you're Tim Allen jacked yet. Well, I see. Or how much uh, ice you've been laying in. Yeah, I was just going to say, I see a big bucket of ice there. Uh, the real question I think we should be asking is uh, who's digitizing Grant uh, to get out of this weird space that we're in? Good luck, Kyle.